This is the last part of our series in John's Gospel, and we're going to be looking at the very last two verses of the book, but also my goal is to tell you about how I feel that I've met Jesus through the pages of John in a new and special way, and how you can do the same. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at the last two verses of the book, and then we're going to talk about how we can experience Jesus through John, and then I want to talk to you about some of the stories that have spoken the most to me. So first of all, let's come to the last two verses, and just to give you the the setup for this, uh, we've just had a discussion with Peter and and John and Jesus, and we have in verse 20, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. This was the one who leaned back against Jesus' chest at the meal and asked, Lord, who is the one who's going to betray you? Now, now we come to these two verses, so we know that, that this disciple is the one who was referred to in verse 20. This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his witness is true. And there are also many other things Jesus did, which if every one were written, not even the world itself, I suppose, would have space for the books written. So this disciple referred to here can only be John. Um, uh, that's how he always refers to himself in the book. And as we are closing this book, as we're closing this, this gospel, it reminds us of verses from the beginning. Right at the beginning of John 1, we have another John. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light. And it's exactly the same word for witness used here. Two Johns, two witnesses. So that's neat bookends to the whole book. Um, so let's go back to our passage, and I want to look at uh, a few things that are in there. So uh, I want to notice that there are three steps in what is happening here. Um, there are three steps. Um, the first step is, it says, this is the disciple, something like that. It's an introduction. And then there's something about bearing witness. And then there's something about these things in, in each of these three references. And so, and so, um, this, the first one is the speaker. And the speaker, there's 24, this is the disciple. And then we have, um, the we know, which is kind of odd. It switches to plural. What's happening there? Well, actually, um, it's not uncommon in ancient documents for there to be a community at the end of the document, like attesting, signing. Like nowadays, we have witnessing a signature. And they're basically witnessing John's signature at the end there. And we get this we just there. Notice it drops back to an I right at the end there in... Um, in verse 25, I suppose. So it's just this point here, they're like just signing their witnesses. And they were probably people who'd been there from the beginning, who like knew that this was John. They, they, there were lots of witnesses to many of the things that Jesus did. 
So that's the first thing, it's the who. And then in each of these statements, there's a bearing witness, and the witness here, it's bearing witness, and then it's stating the witness is true. And then the third element is what it is that they're bearing witness to. And here it's these things. In other words, everything that's written in this book. And then it says, but there are other things. And this draws our attention to the fact that John has had to select from so many things and he's chosen particular things to speak to us. He's gone through a process because there were so many things. Um, so I, it says the world couldn't couldn't uh, have space for all of the books. I don't think that's talking about the um, quantity. I think it's talking about the quantity of what, or the quality of what Jesus wrote. Um, obviously, you know, you could write books about every sentence that he wrote and keep, they could fit in the world, but you couldn't capture um, in finite words this infinite Jesus and the nuance of everything he said couldn't be captured in words and fitted into this world. And this is an allusion, again, to the opening of the book, because at the beginning of the book, it says, all things were made through him. Without him was not anything made that was made. And then he came into the world. And so this is a Jesus who can't be fitted into this world. I think that's what it's saying here. So one last thing I want to say about these words is that it's very similar to the end of the previous chapter. If we look at John chapter 20, we see, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life through his name. So, and that's saying something similar, it, that the purpose of these things is to, to experience Jesus through this and have his life through that experience. So that was just a brief look at these, these last two verses. And I'd like to move on now to experiencing Jesus through this, these words, these things that John's written. So I want to move on from these last two verses to what the last two verses are talking about, what they're pointing to, which is all the things that John has captured in his book. So I want to talk about how we experience this, and then I want to talk about some stories that have spoken to me through this. So what is really special about all of the writings, all of the chapters in this book, is that John was actually there. He was there witnessing those things. And this is, uh, this is special because he actually experiences Jesus probably closer than anyone else. Uh, it's, he, he had a particularly special relationship with Jesus and he's very, very observant about little things that are going on, emotions that Jesus is having. He's catching nuances in Jesus that are very, very special. Um, and he wrote this so that we can meet Jesus. It's almost, almost as truly as if we had been there with him. And his goal is that we have a sense of him in our hearts in the same way that we do of people that we know. You know, when you have a friend and 
you're going to speak to them or maybe you write something to them. You have a sense of how they're going to receive what you write because you know them. You've got like a model in your head of who they are and what they are because you know them. You've had lots of interactions with them. And what John wants is us to have such a, an experience of Jesus through his writings that we feel we know him and that gives us confidence that we know how he's going to react when we come to him. This is so important. He says, John's written this, he says, so that we may have life. This is life to know Jesus. So what I want this morning is to bear witness to you of how I have met him um, in such a powerful way. As I've been preaching through in the last, in was been 37 sessions, as I've been studying it, in fact, it was a year almost to the day that I began this series. It was, it was for the beginning of September. I began this series, I think September the 9th last year. And so almost to the day since I began this series. And it's been an extraordinary experience for me doing this work. But it's been one of the most amazing experiences of my life in terms of really engaging with God, with Jesus, with who he is. And, um, and, I want to ask, um, I want to ask you, can you imagine what it would be like to be there in Jesus' presence like John was and be his friend? What would it be like to have a friend who is both human and divine at the same time? Can you imagine that? Um, I, you know, I, I can't, um, it, it's just extraordinary. Um, yet, um, I can speak to Jesus any moment of the day, and he hears me in exactly the same way as he heard Mary and he heard John. I can have the same kind of relationship that they had with this person. What would it be like to have a friend who was like this? Can you imagine when, you know, you can see they have emotions, they're, they're, they're very human in the way they engage, and yet they can just do miracles. They, you know, they have access to the Father, just speaking to Him. Uh, what would it be like to have somebody like that, who's your friend, who you know loves you and is there for you? Uh, just extraordinary, and yet we can. That is the amazing thing. So, r- really, what this comes down to is um, someone who has two natures, and this is an important um, part of Christian theology. And I'm just going to read a quote from calm.org. One of the most common errors that non-Christian cults make is not understanding the two natures of Christ. For example, the Jehovah's Witnesses focus on Jesus' humanity and ignore his divinity. They repeatedly quote verses dealing with Jesus as a man and try to set them against scripture, showing that Jesus is also divine. And this is a, a common fallacy. But unfortunately, among Christians, often we don't have a good sense of this. And it's so important. There's, I think there's an idea um, that's around uh, that, that Jesus like had a human body, but a divine, completely divine spirit. And that's an actually a heresy to believe that because, and it's also damaging to your walk with God because Jesus had a human nature as well as a divine nature. 
and they were both there. But sometimes we we have this expression to err to err is human. You know, humans make mistakes. Um, if Jesus is truly human, he'll make mistakes. But that's not actually true. That's not how God designed humans to be. And um, I would say that um, that Jesus' humanity was perfect and without mistakes. So I want just to put you on the spot for a moment and ask you, can you think of why it is so important that Jesus should be fully human, not just in his body, but human in who he is? Why is that so important? There, you weren't expecting me to put you on a spot like that, were you? But um, I want to, you, you maybe you thought um, of some reasons. Um, uh, well, what would it, uh, he took on human limitations, um, partly so he could demonstrate to us um, what it was like to um, depend on the Father, and he depended on the power of the Spirit for doing miracles. But I would say that one of the main things was, Exhibiting emotions that only humans can have. So it says in 1321, after saying these things, Jesus was greatly and visibly distressed in spirit. So that's a human emotion. 1135, Jesus wept. This is at Lazarus' funeral. Hebrews 415, I think, gives us the answer. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. So the question I asked you to ponder just now, I think this verse in Hebrews is the fullest answer, because as a human, he can empathize with us in a way that is quite extraordinary. So when we come to him in prayer, we're praying to somebody who has actually been through things that we've been through and really knows them and gets them and understands them. It's also important um, in terms of taking on our sin on the cross that he was fully human because he had to die as a human um, and we had to we were united with him in that death. And so it was our sin was dealt with by him and he couldn't have done that if he was just God in a human body. He had to be fully human to do that. But for the purpose of what I'm talking about here, it's, I think, the fact that Jesus has human emotions is what I want to emphasize as being so important here. And this is one of the things that's impacted me as I have met Jesus in a deeper way through the study of John. So, um, one of the things that theologians talk about is um, this idea of fully God and fully man. And the technical term for it is the hypostatic union. And actually, Wikipedia, which you don't think of as being a great source of theology, Wikipedia has got a really good statement about hypostatic union. If you look it up, it says, the most basic explanation for the hypostatic union is Jesus Christ being both God and man. He is both perfectly divine and perfectly human. So that's what the term means. Perfectly divine and perfectly human. He is both of them without weakening what either of those terms mean. Now, of course, there are, there are times when Jesus said, you know, even, this, even the Son of Man doesn't know the time when 
he'll return. Statements like that. That is because Jesus has willingly put aside some of his knowledge as as divine for the sake of experiencing humanity. So, for example, Jesus growing up, you know, had to learn to work with wood. Um, as God, he could have had the knowledge downloaded immediately, but that wouldn't have given him a human experience. So he had to learn as a child, as others learn, to be fully human and, and allow that, that knowledge as God to just be on the side and not access that. So um, this term then, hypostatic union, is usually discussed by theologians in quite a philosophical way. I'd like today, though, to think of it in a much more personal way. And this is really where I want to land today. This is what I want my focus to be. So let's just think of this for a few moments, what this means personally. What would it be like to have known Jesus as a human? To have hung out with him? To have seen him talk with people? To have got to know his sense of humor? To his taste in food? What annoyed or upset him? Just, just as a human, you know, what, what would it be like to do that? Would that not have been quite extraordinary? What about, but then let's, what would it have been like to, to have got to know this friend we know as a human, that he's God as well? What would that have been like? He knows my thoughts and can read my mind. Can you imagine hanging out with somebody who can just read your mind? He cares about me so much and he has the power that he can always help me, you know, like producing the fish in the nets for the disciples, that he can actually do that. What would be like to have a friend who can do this, but also wants me to trust him in a scary way? He always tells the truth, even if it makes people want to kill him. So he's kind of a bit dangerous to hang out with because they may want to kill me too. How do I feel about this? This is a person who's quite uh, scary to hang out with, but nevertheless quite amazing to hang out with. And I just want you to think, as this first step in this, what would it be like just as, a, as an individual, as a person, for you to, to be with Jesus on this earth? And then I want to take a step from that and say, meet, talk about meeting Jesus through the pages of John. Because although we don't have the privilege of being with him as John was, we do have these words, and I believe that through them we can have an experience which can be very, very rich. And so meeting Jesus through the pages of John, um, and uh, I, want to, I want to argue, um, if I can find the right pages in my notes, I've got two of those. Um, okay. All right. Uh, I want to argue that um, uh, the, la- the, the last two verses, sorry, I'm mixed up here. Um, I'm just going to, going to uh, summarize. We've talked about the last two verses. We've talked about experiencing Jesus through John. And now I want to talk about how this works for me, meeting Jesus through the pages of John, how this process has been working for me. And I'd like to talk about some stories that have spoken most to me. One of the ones was last week 
when we saw Jesus so gentle, the way that he was restoring Peter. And uh, those that really empowers me to come in prayer, even when I've messed up. The story with Thomas as well. You know, Thomas says, you know, doesn't believe that Jesus is risen from the dead. And Jesus is so gentle. And he says, Thomas, come and put your finger in my scars. And uh, you know, he's just so gentle with Thomas and you know, restoring him. And that really gives me an encouragement to come to Jesus when I pray. Uh, another thing was the prayer in John 17 at the beginning uh, if you, we did this uh, quite a few weeks ago, but the beginning of this prayer in John 17, we have, um, this is just the outline of the prayer. Uh, Jesus says, I'm no longer in the world, but I'm coming to you. Um, God, please keep them safe. He's speaking to the Father. Keep them safe so that they may be one, just as we are one. I kept them safe, but now I'm coming to you. May they have my joy completed in them. Now, why this was so special to me is because Jesus' first concern in this wonderful prayer in John 17 is that we be looked after, that like he's been looking after these, sorry, the, these disciples be looked after. He's been looking after them and he's saying, I'm leaving them, Father, I'm giving them to you to look after them. And I'm thinking, you know, he's the kind of person <clears throat> that, that just takes care of you and watches like, and watches when you, you need something. And this is, this is, he's got so much that he's carrying and he's worrying about them. Um, but then we can think of, uh, even when he's about to be arrested, this is in John 14, he's about to be arrested. Um, the worst, the most, the worst experience that's ever happened to any human is about to happen to him. And what's he doing? He's thinking about his disciples and how they are going to be without him. He's he's being unselfish. He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid, he says. He says, don't be troubled, don't worry. Um, I'm going to give you my peace. He's concerned about them unselfishly, even though he's going to be going through so much. And just the, the revelation that, that God is unselfish, he's putting, Jesus here is putting his disciples' needs and thinking about them primarily. Wow, what, what a God this is. What an amazing Jesus. Uh, uh, and, and then also um, the empathy that he had with Mary and Martha when they'd lost Lazarus and they were just so upset and he's there and he's with them and he's giving them what they need. And Martha, she needs to understand what's happening. And um, she's like in like thinking about what, what we need. She needs a, a reason. And Jesus explained to her, I'm the resurrection of the life. And she gets it. He gently explains and she gets it. But Mary's in a different place. Mary is just weeping. And we're told, weep with those who weep. And that's what Jesus does. When Jesus saw her weeping and the people who had come with her weeping, he was intensely moved in spirit, greatly distressed. He asked, where have you laid him? They said, Lord, come and see. Jesus broke into tears. And I think that and Jesus, he chose to allow 
his tears to be seen at this time. He chose to do this because right now Mary needed this more than words. Mary didn't need an explanation like Martha did about that he was the resurrection and the life. Mary needed to see that Jesus was with her, that he was touched. And, and, um, this is, this is the mood with compassion is this empathy. And here I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely amazed, but here I see a Jesus that is actually when I'm upset is actually con- with, with me in that, like can have some resonance with me when I'm really upset about something, you know, when I hear about, uh, something really bad that's happened and I'm distressed and that Jesus can resonate with that. That is extraordinary. That's given me a new conception of what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. I'm amazed by that. Um, and I want to end by asking what's going on inside you when you think of this Jesus. And what what is it that's going on in you when you read these stories? And the last story I want to, one I want to end with is the story of Mary and how Mary responded to these things. So Mary took three quarters of a pound of expensive aromatic oil from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus. She then wiped his feet with her hair. Now the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. So my challenge to you then is to read this book again, this book of John that we've been studying for the last year. Read it again in the next couple of weeks. And I'm challenging you with one aim, to meet Jesus again in these pages and to get to know him better. Um, Just talking about Mary's response, my response is different to Mary's as I read this book. I'm partly, I don't have the hair for doing that. I'm partly like, as a man, my response might be a little different. But nevertheless, there's something in me that is so drawn to him. And I don't know how he'd react if he was physically here. But there's something in me that's so drawn to this person. And I want us to see Mary as a model of somebody who really gets who Jesus is and this is the reaction. She just wholly gives her everything in this. So something in me is drawn to him as I read of him. And my prayer is that if you read the book again, asking Jesus to reveal himself to you and just noticing him as a person and what's going on, have this one aim to meet Jesus in the pages of this book in two ways, as a friend is human, and as a saviour, as God. And that as you do that, it will deepen and enrich your Christian life. This, I believe, is what John wants us to do. This is what the goal of his writing is. If we're not a believer, if we're not a Christian, then we meet him for the first time. And his goal is that we give our lives to him. And if we are Christians, our goal is that we have life. We have his life. To know him, John says, to know him, Jesus says, is life eternal. And so I'm just going to close in prayer that you experience who Jesus is in a deeper and richer way as you read this book of John. 
Father, I thank you that you sent Jesus to this world to reveal yourself to us. And Jesus is no different to you. And Lord, thank you for this revelation. Lord, speak to us, each of us, the amazing, beautiful, wonderful, extraordinary, lovely character that you have, that we may be enraptured by you and taken up by you and filled with wonder at who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.